Ephesians chapter 1, we'll begin by reading two verses this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and verses 18, verses 17 and 18 together, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We'll leave off reading in verse 18. He adds a third thing in verse 19 that we will look at, God willing, next Lord's Day. This morning... We look again at Paul's first prayer, uh, first recorded prayer for the church at Ephesus. Thus far, we have seen that he began his prayer by giving thanks to God for the church. He continued to pray, asking God to give them something they did not have, but that they sorely needed. Yes, God to give them a greater measure of spiritual wisdom and a greater revelation in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17. And then in verses 18 and 19, we see him expanding upon that prayer request by adding three things. Today we'll look at the first two of those three things. He begins in verse 18 by saying, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Their need was for better spiritual eyes. Better spiritual understanding. The word understanding here means the mind, the will, and the emotions. They needed a better understanding of spiritual things. Things that God alone could teach them about true Christianity. The word eyes here refers to that which is able or not able to see. Before we became a Christian, the eyes of our understanding were blinded. In salvation, our eyes have been opened. And they have been opened by God so that we might see the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we might know him as our Savior and that we might know something of his kingdom. Seeing eyes come from God in the new birth. We believe that. And until a sinner is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ tells us that in John chapter 3, in verse 3. The eyes of your understanding is... That is, it refers to that which your mind and your will and your emotions 
or able to perceive, able to see in the work of true salvation, the Holy Spirit enlightens both the mind and the heart. He gives knowledge where there were previously no knowledge. They did not know sinners, did not know who God was. They did not know who Jesus Christ was. They did not know what had been accomplished at Calvary's cross. They did not know what happened when he was buried and rose again after three days. They did not know these things. They knew the facts, but they did not understand them in a spiritual way. And the gospel message in the hand of the Holy Spirit gives knowledge to men and gives them understanding as to what Jesus Christ has done on Calvary's cross for sinners. But more than that, he gives a new heart. A heart that understands God and that loves God. The heart had been hardened by sin. The understanding had been blinded by sin. Both are changed when God turns a sinner into a Christian. Both are changed. And both mind and heart must be continually changed if you are to grow as a Christian. That is why Paul is praying that the eyes of their understanding be opened. He understands that they're Christians, but they need so much more than what they have. They need to understand so much more than what they presently understand. And so he prays for them. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. The word understanding, as I said before, refers to the mind and the will and the emotions. Paul uses it in chapter 2, verse 3. In chapter 2, verse 3, we read, Among whom also we all had our conversation, that is, our manner of life, in time past, in the lust of the the flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind. The English word mind is the same Greek, translated from the same Greek word as the word understanding here in verse 18. It is the same word. Here Paul talks about as a lost person. Our minds were darkened. We were by nature the children of wrath. Even as others. All sinners. Are born with a natural blindness to the things of God. Our minds are darkened. Because of sin. And that is why we must be born again in order to be able to see spiritual things. But in, in addition to that blindness, oftentimes growing as a sinner, we took part in blinding ourselves. Uh, there is actually in the scriptures a fourfold blindness upon some sinners. 
First is upon all sinners that by nature we are blind to the things of God. Secondly, according to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, we spend time blinding ourselves. Matthew in chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 15 says, For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Jesus Christ talking about sinners here. Talking about the religious Jews here. They close their own eyes to the things that God was saying to them. Their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted. And I should heal them. They close their own eyes and close their own ears to the things that Jesus Christ was teaching them concerning true salvation. This is the nature of sinners when they're faced with the gospel. When they're faced with the one and the true living God, they close themselves off from the truth of those things. They have their own religion. Don't talk to us about the gospel, preacher. My grandmother, my mother... I've got it. I've got a handle on it. I'm just going to close my ears and close my eyes to what you have to say. Well, that's a, that's a second blindness. And then there's a third one. Sometimes the scripture refers to Satan blinding the sinner's eyes and ears and heart. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 3, Paul writes and says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid from them that are lost. And then in verse 4, he explains, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds. There it is. Blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine onto them. Here the God of this world is a reference to Satan and his minions. And he has a ministry of going about blinding the minds, the understanding of sinners so that they cannot see who Jesus Christ is in reality. They will, of course, believe on him and during Easter and they will believe on him during Christmas and they will believe on him when they hear of him dying on the cross but uh, but uh, as God as Lord as Savior no we will not have this man to rule over us their eyes blinded by Satan himself those three forms of blindness sit upon most with sinners in the world. There is a fourth one that if this happens, there needs, you need to understand that there is no remedy. In the first three, there is still remedy. But there is a fourth one. There is a fourth one. Sometimes God Himself brings about a blindness upon sinners. In John chapter 12, during the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
as he is ministering to the Jews. In John chapter 12, beginning in verse 37, the scripture says, But though he had done so many miracles among uh, before them, yet they believed not on him. And then verse 38 says that, or in order that, the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart and be converted, and I should heal them. Verse 41, These things saith Isaiah, or Isaiah, when he saw his glory and spake of him. That's in Isaiah chapter 6, if you want to go and read of it. Here in John chapter 12, Jesus Christ is saying that what is happening to the generation of Jews during his earthly ministry is that God is fulfilling the prophecy of blinding the eyes and hardening the heart and closing the ears of those who Jews during the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. How does God harden an already hardened heart? How does God blind already blinded eyes? The prophet Isaiah gives us a hint and an insight into those, this work. In Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 17, the scripture says, Isaiah 57, 17, For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth, God is speaking, and I smote him. And then God says three words, I hid me. I hid myself from him and was wroth. And what did he do when God hid himself from him? What did he do? Well, the scripture says he went on forwardly in the way of his heart. If you're here this morning outside of Christ and you have been rejecting the overtures of Jesus Christ, to come and repentance toward Him and, and faith in Him to saving, to the saving of your soul. If you have been rejecting the overtures of a Savior that says, come to me and I will not cast you out, do not do that. Do not do that. God has testified in His own Word that sometimes He will hide Himself from people. And when he does that, they just go on in their own heart the way they want to go, doing what they want to do, fulfilling their own desires, living out all the days of their life, doing just exactly what they want. And wake up in hell. God just lets you harden your own heart, blind your own eyes, deafen your own ears. You better hope God does not leave you alone, sinner. Because if God ever leaves you alone, there is no hope for you. This morning, 
Today is the day of repentance. Today is the day of salvation. Paul prays for these dear saints at the church at Ephesus, knowing these believers had already had their eyes opened and their heart opened to understand the things of God. They had already embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. They had grown in a measure of grace and in the measure of knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he testifies of that in throughout this book. And yet, as he closes this first chapter, he prays that God would open their eyes so they could understand more than they do now. This is nothing new. This is nothing new. Paul uses the word understanding in reference to a true Christian here. He refers to a new spiritual heart and a new enlightened mind. Not simply of a brain full of facts, but a mind and the will and emotions that have been enlightened by God to understand God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the way of God in, the, in salvation. And knowing these believers had eyes to see, he prays for them that God would give them more understanding. In the Old Testament, in Psalm 119, verse 18, David prays, Open thou mine eyes. Why does he pray that way? This is a Christian man. He's written most of the, a lot of the Psalms. He's, God calls him the sweet psalmist of Israel. Why does he pray, God open my eyes? What does he want? That I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I don't understand your word the way I need to understand your word. Open my eyes so that I can see. David prays for this very same thing in his relationship with the living God and in his relationship with the Word of God. I need more understanding. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 45, before our Lord descended to take His place upon His throne in heaven, the Scripture records in Luke 24, 45, then opened He their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. These are the disciples on the road to Emmaus. The Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated his willingness and his ability to open the understanding of true believers so that they might have a better understanding of the Word of God. They had been walking they had been walking on the road to Emmaus and he had come up to them and, and, and he had asked him about the day and the words out of their mouth were, we thought. And we just read right past those words like, like, like they're just words on a page. We thought. That's the problem. They didn't understand. They had their own ideas. They got their own religion. 
They carry their errors into their own religion with them. Well, we think. And they tell them this whole story about Jesus on the cross. And we thought it was about, about the kingdom. We thought it was about Israel. We thought it was about, about delivering us from Rome. We thought all these things. All those thoughts. And none of it right. Then, he opened their understanding so they would understand the scriptures. It is wrong to believe that as a Christian, you do not need to understand the things of God better than you do today. All of us need a better understanding of God's word. All of us need a better understanding of God. And we're saying that we got a handle on the infinite. We who are finite, who grasp at, at, in the dark can gather a few nuggets and think we have a handle on this thing called God. Think I have a handle on this thing called salvation. Think we know from Genesis to Revelation the answer to all things. That the sum and sustenance of wisdom rest in all of us. Oh, beloved. It is wrong for us to believe that we cannot grow in our understanding. It is also wrong to believe that the longer we walk as a Christian, the less the less we need our eyes enlightened to understand God's word. Paul's prayer for the local church at Ephesus was focused upon them knowing and understanding a greater truth concerning the salvation of God that had previously been bestowed upon them. Now you say, Brother Pat, don't they know some things? Oh, of course they do. Of course they do. Paul prayed, though, that they would, they would come to a knowledge and understand things that they did not know. And he knew if that were to take place, that God had to do it. That the Spirit of God had to come alongside that group and the Spirit of God had to take the Word of God and teach them what they did not know. Jesus Christ said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. You got all things learned already? Oh, brother, sister. No, we do not. So Paul prays. That God might do something for them that they could not do for themselves. He prays that God might enlighten the eyes of their understanding. Do we understand that our greatest need regarding our Christian walk is to know the truth concerning God and his purposes regarding <coughs> his salvation? We understand that God's salvation is much deeper than a few simple facts. Then ABC, one, two, three, we got a handle on it now. You know, I just need a couple of verses. 
you know, when I was three months old in the Lord, armed with John 3.16, Ephesians 2.8.9, I got it now. I can knock on doors. I can lead souls to Christ. I got it. Well, thank God he shot me down every Thursday night. Salvation is a little bit deeper than that. To know, to understand, not to know the facts. Probably not a person in this room did not know the facts. I'm not talking about that. Paul's not dealing with that. We're not talking about what facts you may gather up. And he's, neither is he talking about secondhand information. Well, I read a book or I read this or brother so-and-so says that or brother so-and-so says this. He's not talking about secondhand information. He's not talking about what the commentators say. What he's talking about is understanding. He's talking about you and God, understanding. And that comes from God's Word alone. To know spiritually. To see spiritually. To experience the truth of the, of the thing in the heart. To gain a personal awareness and understanding of the truth of God's word because you've used it. Because you've found it to be true. Paul is asking God to give each of the, of his, of the members of this church, of his children, a personal knowledge of the truth concerning all he has provided for them in salvation. Why did Paul feel it necessary to pray for this church to have their eye, the eyes of their understanding enlightened? Why do you suppose he felt like it was important to pray that way? Well, the answer should be obvious. It was because they needed their eyes of their understanding enlightened. That's why he prayed for that. Because that's what they needed. Again, this is a good church. This is a good church. Like our church, though, it is a church in need. They understood some things. They had a grasp on some things. But they still had much of the world mixed in with their walk with God. As the book opens up before us, we'll see that. I'll quote some of the chapters for you, or some verses out of the chapters that are to follow uh, here in this book as Paul deals with this church. They still had much of the world mixed in with their religion. They had ideas of God that were not biblical. They had ideas of religion that they had carried with them. Jews had brought in their ideas. The pagans had brought in their ideas. And they had this mixture of religion in this church here. And it was a good church. And it had a solid foundation on some things. But it was wrong in some things. And they needed to understand that. And so Paul prays for them. That they would understand the hope of his calling. They would understand the riches of their inheritance. And they would understand something of the greatness of the power of God toward them. The first thing we look at here is the hope of your calling. Ephesians 1, 18. That you may know, that is know from experience, what is the hope of his calling. Not know about, but know from experience. And the first thing that we need to understand is that 
we had no hope outside of Christ. And Paul deals with that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. At that at the time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is where you were. This is where God found you. This is where God came to you at, without hope, without God. And he brought the gospel to you. And you heard things that you hadn't heard before. And you repented of your sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> and it was Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he came in and he sealed you. Colossians 1 and 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And all of this, this book in the book of Colossians and all of Paul's writings are about Christ in you. Giving you some hope of eternal glory. But it's not just that. There's more. The third thing is, not only were you without hope, but then when Christ came, it was Christ in you, the hope of glory. But the, the third aspect was that God called you out of darkness into light. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling. His calling. 1 Peter 2.9 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That, in order that, you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into the marvelous, into His marvelous light. Paul is praying that they would understand something of being called of God, of being called out of darkness into light, into God's marvelous light. God's calling upon our life means that we are responsible to God for every aspect of our Christian life. That God did not call us out of darkness into light so that we could go back into darkness. God did not call us out of sin into eternal life so that we could go back into sin. God's calling upon our life is to pull us out of that what we were before. And Paul is speaking to this church so that they would understand that when God calls you, you're never going to be the same. He's called you out of darkness. Later in this book, he'll talk to them about being children of light, to live as children of light, not children of darkness. God's called you. You belong to Him. You're not your own. You're His. He's called you and He's called you unto Himself. God didn't save us to remain in the darkness of this world. That's what, not what salvation is. Paul is, is explaining to them, you understand, I want you to understand that when God saved you, He changed you. Before we get into chapters 4, 5, and 6, you're going to say, well, look at all these problems they had. Why is He praying in the opening chapters that they would understand because he's going to list things that they're involved in that if you're a Christian, you ought not to be involved in. 
He called us out of darkness. He called us out of our sinful lifestyle. And being called out of darkness means that He's put a new heart in us. A heart that loves God. And we can't speak of loving our brother. We can't speak of loving our sister until we can first speak of loving God. Matthew in chapter 22, verse 36, during our earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the Jews came up to him and said, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? Matthew 22, 36. And going down to verse 40, Jesus Christ is going to explain to him. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. There it is, understanding. There's our word. With your understanding. You love God with your understanding. I'm praying that God would enlighten the eyes of your understanding so that you can understand what it means to be a Christian. To understand what it means to love God with your understanding. With your mind and your heart and your soul. This, this is the first and great commandment. This is it. This is the first and the greatest of them. And if you don't have that one, then all the rest of them mean nothing. The second is like unto it. When Jesus Christ said the second is like unto it, He is saying this is the second one. That if you don't have the first one, then you don't have the second one. Now shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. True Christians have been called out of darkness into light. They are children of light. They walk in the light as He is in the light. They love the Lord God. They love the Lord Jesus Christ. They love His Word. God has put a new heart in their soul. It beats for God. It beats for His Word. This is not something that is incidental. This is reality. This is life. This is what Christianity is. It's not a decision you make. You walk down the aisle, pray a little prayer, and go on your life, do whatever you want to do, live where you want to live. That's not what Christianity is. God has done something to radically change people. A new heart. Does that have anything at all to do with God? Yes. It has everything to do with God. Jesus Christ in John 14 and verse 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Brother, let me tell you how much I love the Lord. No. Show me. If you love me, keep my commandments. John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. In him the love of God is brought to maturity. 
Brother Pat, how am I going to grow in understanding and love? And how am I going to love God the way I should love? And how am I going to love my brothers and sisters the way that I should? Whoso keepeth his word, in him the love of God is perfected. The one who looks in the scriptures and searches how I can obey God, how I can live for him today, to search the scriptures to find out what he has to say about this or that or the other. So I can do it. In that person, the love of God is perfected. God's calling upon our life means that we are to use our lips, our mouth, to worship Him. To show forth the praises of Him who has called us out of darkness into light. Not to spend our time complaining one about another, using our tongue to sin against God. No. Paul writes to the Ephesians, go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. You see, he's still dealing with this issue, the fact that you have been called. And he goes on and he lists all kinds of things here. And he comes down to verse 29 and he says that walking worthy of your calling means that you should not let, let no corrupt communication or let no worthless communication, let no communication that has no value proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and, and anger, clamor and evil speaking, but be put away from you with all malice. I'm praying for you to understand that there's more to Christianity than the fact that you made a decision for Jesus. That it is a life. That it involves the lips. That it involves the heart. That it is a life. That it is Monday through Saturday. It is Sunday through Saturday. It is not an occasional dip my toe in the water and show up on Sunday morning just to, just to assuage my conscience and just show that's not Christianity. It's a life. It's a heart. It's a desire. It's a change. Those who have been called out of darkness into light Learn how to use their mouth to worship the living God. To serve Him. Paul's instructions to this church is that they learn how to walk according to their calling. He has called you out of darkness into light. Learn how to walk as a child of light. As a child of light. Walk like a child of God. 
live like the things of God are more important to you than your family. Live like the things of God are more important to you than your job and your career. Live like the things of God are more important to you than your opinion concerning your religion. Live as though God were the sum and substance of your life. That's Christianity. Can you imagine if God were to transport this church back to the days of the Thessalonians? And the first thing you did in Thessalonica was open your mouth and said, I'm a follower of Christ. And the first thing they did was pick up a pocket full of stones and said, we'll take care of that real quick. And you're running for your life and you're hiding and you don't have a job the next day. And that career you had nicely planned out, it's gone. Why? Well, because you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And that family you love so much, well, they're gone too. Why? 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 Because the wife is unwilling to follow Christ with the husband, or the husband is unwilling to follow Christ with the wife, or the children are rather follow Christ than follow the Hindu gods or their mothers and their fathers. And you wake up in the jungle beaten and bloody. Why? Because I'm a Christian. All of a sudden, Christianity becomes pretty clear. And some things become pretty ridiculous. Those have been called out of darkness into light. God in the soul. Paul says, I want you to understand the hope of your calling. And Brother Pat, what else? I also want you to understand that you have an inheritance. Well, there's a whole lot of things about that, but I'm not going to deal with them this morning. But what he's saying here is I want you to understand to live like heaven is your home and not this earth. We're to live like we're going to heaven. Not like we're going to spend the rest of our life on this earth. Why do so many professing Christians focus on the wealth of this world which they have been told will pass away? When the word of God tells them to focus upon and search out the exceeding riches of the, that which is in glory. Paul's prayer is focused upon the children of God coming to a full knowledge of that which they have in their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not what they will gain on this earth. How few Christians understand the value of grace. It has plucked them like a brand from the fire and set their feet to glory. How few Christians understand what it means to set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. 
that there are things on the earth we have to have, there is no question. We live in a world where we have to function in it. But when that becomes the priority, we have lost something. We have lost something. This morning, I want us to understand that Paul is praying that these believers at Ephesus can understand what God has done in saving them. Can understand what it means to be a child of God. Can understand what it means that heaven is your home. And we're just passing through. We've only got a few short years left, most of us. It would be a shame to waste it. May the truth of genuine Christianity impact our hearts. Let's pray together. My Father in glory, look down upon this assembly in mercy and grace and 